Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and I am joined today by Don Pizzette. Don, how you doing? I am doing great. You know, I, I'm stepping away from my hosting duties from last week, so sure. back into just a uh, snarky technology commentator. Yeah, I heard it... Uh but okay. <laughs> Highest rated episode ever. The reviews that I've seen. All right. And Daniel, how are you? Why are you asking so many questions? It's Why are you always say, you wearing a wire? Still on, your, on your normal role. Thank yeah. you, Daniel. That's what I thought. <laughs> I, I'm not looking forward to when we are uncovidized and back right next to each other or I'm in like punching distance from you. <laughs> <laughs> I like this across the room thing. And uh, we are joined today by our special guest. We have Nick Russo, who is a technical leader at Cisco. Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm excited to uh, to participate. We are excited to have you as well. You've got a nice setup. It looked like like a, a professional like record studio there. Do you, are you are you a singer or is this like podcasts? No, no, no it's, uh, a lot of it is for uh, for video recording, doing Perfect. video on demand, live courses and such. And this was a, a good way to do soundproofing. And you can tell it. You know, it's a well. I'm not going to turn around and shake it. But it's, a, <laughs> it's a it's a wall divider, so it's portable too. And if I need to oh, fold nice. it up for more space, I can do that. So it's kind of kind of handy. Cool. Yeah, I need to get like a cool zoom background at home. Beats that van like that. with no windows he was using. He was sure. With those and <laughs> yeah, having to run the extension cords. That was an cords. awkward talk with the police. Sure. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, I want to learn more about uh, about that training you do, and, and all about you in our first segment, which is rapid fire questions. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, Nick, in this segment, we are going to rapidly fire questions at you. You'll see a little timer that'll appear on the right side of your screen. You'll have approximately one minute to answer each question. If you take too long, Peter will buzz you. Did you have the buzzer last week? Like that, I did. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> it took him a minute to find it. Yeah, that. It's uh, it's magical. Uh, and then we'll move on to the next question, and we're going to rotate. So the first question is coming at you from Peter. Yeah, so we actually had someone on from Cisco last week, and, and we discussed, I think we know what Cisco is all about, but I want to know exactly what it is a technical leader does. I assume you're not the technical leader, you're one of many technical leaders, but what what does that role encompass? So a technical leader is kind of a combination between a senior engineer who does a, a mix of hands-on work, assisting with things like delivery. It depends on your organization, of course. If you're a TL uh, in a delivery organization, you'd be helping people do that. Uh, but it's also a mix of kind of behind the scenes, more strategic things. So I'm part of a number of, of initiatives inside of my division where we are trying to say, how can Cisco do a better job of becoming a software company? How can we do a better job of positioning ourselves as a, a, a leader in the automation space? And how can we help enable our uh mid-level and junior engineers to do delivery against these new advanced technologies. And it's my job to kind of weave all that together. Now, Nick, I know you served in the United States Marine Corps, and I, I do want to thank you for your service to our country. Uh, I am curious, though, did is that like where you developed your technical skills, or did you do something unrelated in the Corps? It was, mm, I, I would say it's mostly unrelated. So my time in the Marine Corps, I spent roughly half of it as an infantryman carrying a, a rocket launcher, which is obviously not relevant to this. Uh, the second half, I was that. a commissioned officer. <laughs> yeah, I was a commissioned officer in communications. And in that role, uh, I led about 55 Marines, so a relatively large organization. And I didn't do a lot of hands-on keyboard stuff. My tech skills were not terribly good, but my job was to plan and support battalion level operations. So where do we need to set up retransmission sites? How, you know, what technologies and what uh, equipment that I have are we going to distribute to our individual companies? How that, how's that going to work? And how is my plan going to support the commander's intent and the overall concept of operations? So it wasn't nearly as technical. That came after my military service for the most part. I will say there's a lot of times like in the server room, a rocket launcher would come in handy oh, yeah. for a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I think you can fix it with that. Yeah. <laughs> now, you also had the opportunity to work with the um, armed services after you ended your career with the Marine Corps. How is that different, or is it the same, or is it just a, a completely different ball of wax? Yeah, it was It was significantly different. It was. It's much more like a regular civilian job. You, you know, nine to five, you go in. But the difference is that instead of building a, you know, a fixed site, you know, here's this data center or here's this branch site and here's this point of sale system. Those concepts don't really make as much sense, especially in a tactical military network, which is where I spent most of my time. 
In that environment, you are trying to connect remote vehicles, or if you do work with the Navy or the Air Force with ships or aircraft. Uh, in my case, it was mostly the Army, so things like trucks, tanks, uh, and dismounted infantrymen, and making sure that they can all com communicate in a way that's reliable and secure. And obviously, there's a, a whole discussion to be had about that. Yeah, so as a Marine working with the Army guys, you kind of had to dumb things down a little bit so they I don't, could understand. Uh, I don't know. The, the dumbness can go both ways sometimes. <laughs> it's really hard to uh, it's really hard to pinpoint the directionality there sometimes. So so we mentioned that you also do some training on your own. So what kind of topics do you like to cover? Is it all um, Cisco stuff or just kind of general networking? Yeah. So there's kind of a mix there. Um, I do everything from general purpose networking stuff like protocol deep dives on various protocols, routing protocols, or just other things. Uh, there is some Cisco specific training, uh, notably on things like routing, switching, service provider, and uh, sorry, design technologies. And then there's a lot on automation that I've recently done, uh, mostly network automation, but some that's a little more uh, generic systems types automation and a little bit of introductory stuff on DevOps and software development. So it's a pretty wide aperture kind of co combining uh, networking engineering that I have many years of experience with and some of the newer technologies around software development, network automation and, and DevOps for the most part. So a pretty, pretty wide scope of things. Gotcha. Now, I always dig a little too deep into people's uh, LinkedIn bios and, and history. So uh, I'm curious, what was your uh, best event uh, as a member of the men's varsity swimming team at Joseph C. Wilson High School? <laughs> Ooh, that's an interesting one. So we're going back now almost two decades, but I can yep. still remember it. Um, so I went to a city school and in that particular school, we didn't have a lot of, our swim team was very small and we didn't have a lot of great swimmers. And there were a number of private schools in the city, which were, you know, you had great swimmers. They were impossible to beat. Uh, but of all the city schools, we were the best by far. And we went up against one of the private schools known as McQuaid uh, Jesuit, I think was what they're called. Sure. And we nearly defeated them. Um, towards the end, they realized that they needed to treat us seriously, and they ended up beating us. But it was great because we we almost won against an opponent that was far more better trained, better budget, better swimmers in general. Uh, and I think that was memorable for a lot of us because no one had even come close. So that was pretty cool. I, I don't know how they haven't made a Disney movie. See, of this what yet. you don't know <laughs> is McQuaid, right, is Lone Wolf McQuaid, played by Chuck Norris. Oh, okay. Uh, who, those swimmers were his progeny. That makes Pro sense. Yeah, that explains that. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just, yeah. It was all, yeah, the tears of, of all of his enemies were what right. filled the pool. Yeah, that's how they swim every day. Yeah. Sure. That's easier to swim. <laughs> all right. Well, we want to get into a little bit of, of, of what you do more on a daily basis uh, in, in, in talking about networking and things like that. So let's jump into our next segment and find out what it is that grinds your gears. You know what really grinds my gears? This Lindsay Lohan. You know what really grinds my gears? You, America. We now go to Peter for You Know What Really Grinds My Gears. All right, so what I have listed here that you told us is uh, you're upset about fads in networking. And so uh, as, a, as a guy on the outside, what, what does that mean to you? What, what is it specifically that, uh, that you're upset about? Yeah, so I wanted to take this opportunity to kind of clarify something that it's not new but I think there's a big misunderstanding. And one of the fads, or at least a, a new technology that has been adopted very rapidly over the past seven or eight years, is something called segment routing, sometimes called SR. And there are various forms of it. The one we typically see deployed is, is SR in MPLS context, multi-protocol label switching, of course. And there's this belief that SR somehow changes the fundamental way in which IP MPLS works. And that's just not true. And I think this confusion comes from the fact that when you buy a single vendor's equipment, let's just stay with Cisco because I know it, those devices are going to have the same block of labels. So the same numeric range, it's called the segment routing global block or SRGB, that the devices will allocate labels for, for all their prefix SIDs and their node SIDs. And if you don't know what those mean, it's okay. My point here is that if you were to measure label switch paths across the network enabled with this technology, you would see the same label value used at each hop by default. And a lot of people interpret this to mean that the labels somehow have global relevance, that there's a global context. After all, they came from a block that's called the segment routing global block. But that doesn't change the way that MPLS works. Labels only have local significance. Every router upon receiving MPLS encapsulated traffic makes its own autonomous decision. And those labels that it receives are always going to be local labels on that device. 
Now in segment routing, the label information is communicated through the, the link state routing protocol, like IS to IAS or OSPF. And when the other routers learn that, they can com combine the, the state information with the sRGB range for that particular device to identify the proper outgoing label towards that device. And of course, that outgoing label is the local label on the ingress device. So this isn't new. Nothing I've said is new. This is how MPLS has worked for more than two decades, three at this point. I'm only saying this to make sure that people who are learning about segment routing, it's not that different. The way labels work is still the same. It's just that the manner in which they are determined and advertised is a little bit different. So protocols like BGP labeled unicast or label distribution protocol or RSVP for traffic engineering, they have a much more explicit method where I'm going to say, use this label value. And it's just the value by itself. In segment routing, it's a little more indirect where you have, here's my sRGB range, here's my prefix SID, and then you add those together, kind of almost like an offset in a way, and that tells you the label value. But just because all of us are using the same range by default, that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to. Different vendors can uh, come default with different ranges. Obviously, as a designer, you'd want to unify that. But if you went to the middle of your network and you change the range on one device, and assuming that you know the size of the range was the same, so for example, a range of a thousand, uh, even if it starts at a different point, your network is still probably going to work okay. But you'll notice that the label swapping is going to look a little bit because that device with a different range is going to have a different set of local labels. And the only reason I'm harping on this is because I've had many conversations with engineers who are otherwise experienced in things like MPLS, who then say, oh, well, this segment routing global block gives you these labels with global significance. No, they don't. They're still locally significant. It just so happened that we all came to the same conclusion. So I just wanted to kind of wipe that away so that if you're learning about segment routing and you're like, oh, this is so new and it's hard and it's totally changed the way MPLS works. No, it hasn't. It's just, there's a couple minor modifications and don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of segment routing. I'm working on a, a large customer project right now using that technology, but it's important to understand that it's really not that different and you don't need to discard everything you've learned about MPLS in order to learn about SR. You know, I, I've got a theory on it um, because I, I, I've heard people make the mistake. And I, for people like me, where I, I got started with Frame Relay and, and over time moved over to MPLS. And, and with Frame Relay, you, you see the Delsey numbers and it's really rare, or at least for me, it was always really rare that both endpoints on a on like a private line, uh, if it wasn't like a true P2P, that you'd have different Delsey numbers on both ends. So it was just kind of normal. I was used to that. But I think for a lot of people, when they buy MPLS lines now, the ISPs, unless they work for the ISPs, the ISPs are, are kind of obfuscating a lot of that. They don't see all of that. I'll talk to people that say, hey, I'm, I, I use MPLS all the time, but they're not actually doing the configuration piece of it. They're just at the endpoints where all the labels have already been removed at that point. So uh, like, is that where you see the confusion coming from, or, or is it people that should know better that are actually working with MPLS? This would be on the topic of people who should know better. So, so you're absolutely right. <laughs> then you're everything, in real trouble. <laughs> yeah, no, everything, everything you said is 100% correct. You'll hear a lot of people who, who are really just getting an Ethernet handoff and forming a BGP neighbor to an ISP. You're not, I mean, yes, MPLS may be used as the transport, but you don't play any role in right. it. So you wouldn't know. It'd be like if you were riding on a train and you told someone, I know a lot about how trains work. It's like, well, unless you did that research on your own, you would have no idea. You just happen to be a passenger. So uh, this, my, my specific gripe in this episode was mostly about people who have worked with MPLS, like the people at the carrier who may be troubleshooting label stretch paths or trying to understand segment routing, or they may suddenly believe that the paradigm of MPLS has changed because now we have these globally significant labels. No, you don't. They just happen <laughs> to be the same value because they all, everyone had the same SRGB, but the values are still locally significant. And I just wanted to remind everyone about that because it can be very confusing when you're trying to troubleshoot a problem and you somehow think that, oh, the label is same end to end. And if the label is not the same, there's, that must imply a problem. No, that's not the case. So you might be chasing ghosts if you, if you believe that. So teach your children young and have them yeah, prepared. That's right. That's right. <laughs> feel the same way, by the way. I just want you guys to know. I agree. It's all you all ever that. talk about. Yeah. The problem is I already forgot everything I knew about uh, segment routing and stuff. Like I just... I let that it all go. <laughs> yeah. So I made that mistake. Uh, all right. So uh, I know that you've got that, that nice setup now to, to do the kind of remote teaching and stuff, but you've got some in-person training coming back. Is that right? Yeah, I actually have a course tomorrow uh, with O'Reilly. It's a network DevOps course. Um, I typically do one or two live courses per month. 
So, you know, every other week or so I'll do one with O'Reilly. Um, I've got a Python one. I've got a, you know, a general Python one, Python requests, Ansible network automation and network DevOps there. Um, through Pluralsight, I have 32 courses. I'm not going to sit here and list them. We'd be here all day. Um, those span from uh, Cisco specific stuff, software stuff, network automation, protocol deep dives, um, and also some Cisco specific products like uh, SD-WAN automation, DNA center automation, uh, several security products and such. So there's a lot there. Um, I also, you know, an author of several books, uh, you know, from everything from Cisco specific, like CCIE type training stuff to more generic uh cloud iot network automation technology so i i tend to publish in a variety of places just to kind of maximize the reach there and also provide some you know some business diversity as well you know doing business with multiple customers it just seemed to be like the the smart thing to do and njrusmc.net that's still the website that is the website and if you go there you'll feel like you stepped into a time machine uh it's very basic you know i built it just using a text editor and Simple HTML, a little bit of CSS, and that's it. Nice and easy to keep things, you know, you want to go there and find a resource, you can go there without a, being badgered to sign up or make a donation or anything like that. Just click what you need, download it, and go away, go about your day. Yeah, and, it, uh, it, Don't worry about my background. It <laughs> seemed like the page was missing the under construction icon and the made with Netscape Navigator. <laughs> the, and the counter, the counter on the bottom. <laughs> yeah, the number of people who visited yeah. it. Yeah. Did you always start at like 10,000 to look impressive? Like yeah. no one started their counter at zero. That's... Yeah. All right, well, thank you. We, we really appreciate you taking the time with us and, uh, and, and griping and, and letting us gripe with you and, uh, and teaching us about what you do. So thank you so much, Nick. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. All right, everybody, stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and look at the news from this week. That's all coming up on TechNator with Don Bazette. Welcome to IT Pro TV, an e-learning company with thousands of hours of engaging video training for IT professionals with fresh content added daily. What makes IT Pro TV stand out? It all starts with our edutainers who create better than classroom experiences for training you look forward to watching. So an edutainer is someone who takes a topic, an, an educational topic, and makes it more fun, enjoyable. My vision for ITPro TV was to make the product that I wish I had when I got started. The dashboard is great because you can actually pick up right where you left off. You can also end up seeing new courses that are available to you, and with a membership you have access to a variety of study tools. Follow along with virtual labs and test your skills with practice tests. And unlike traditional training, you aren't handcuffed to your desk. Sure, you can watch from there or from your couch with Apple TV and Roku apps or from anywhere with mobile apps. The training is even available for download. If you're ready to watch and learn with the IT pros, check out the flexible membership choices online today at www.itpro.tv. All right, welcome back to TechNado with Don Pazette. A lot of news to get to. We've got uh, some Linux stuff, some Microsoft stuff, a couple of Deja news articles looking back at, uh, at some things we've discussed recently. But we're starting with Pharonix. This article is AMD now backing Alma Linux as this increasingly popular RHEL CentOS alternative. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah it feels like there's a word missing we were discussing yeah, yeah, in the break that... And I know, Peter, you're very passionate about Linux, too, so you stay on top of this. But, yeah. uh, uh, you know, last year, Red Hat pulled support for CentOS and, and converted it over to CentOS Stream, which is not considered stable enough for most production environments. And so a number of other vendors stepped in. Alma Linux and Rocky Linux are probably the two leading ones that are out there. And a lot of people have been asking and asking me, which one do you recommend? What should I do? If I'm running CentOS, what, which of these other distros should I switch to? And for a lot of people, I've given the advice of moving over to Ubuntu because mm -hmm. it's commercially supported and already mature. But it's kind of a different paradigm than what you have over with Red Hat-based stuff. So, you know, different update tools, different packages, and, and so on. So for people that want to stay in that Red Hat space, you've got to make a choice. And it's hard to pick who the winner's going to be because these guys are all brand new. Rocky Linux and Alma Linux are both a year old. Right. Hmm. So it's hard to tell who's going to be around 10 years from now, but it's starting to look like Alma Linux is pulling into the lead. Rocky Linux had the advantage of being created by the founder, one of the original founders of CentOS. So it's got a, a little bit of uh, pedigree. Uh, yeah, gravitas. I don't know what the fancy yeah. pants word for that is. But, uh, uh, but Alma Linux now has investors right sponsors people ah. that are pumping money into it money never does anything bad to stuff yeah this this <laughs> i'm always on the wrong side of these things i mean i had a zune before an ipod <laughs> i had um 
an HD DVD player. I had an um, HD before DVD Blu-ray. Well. Before My Blu-ray. family had a Betamax when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah, so a friend of mine had one. I'm sure I, I would pick Rocky Linux then in in this case. Yeah. Well, we still don't really know who's going to win out, but they both have sponsors. But AMD is a pretty big deal. Like once you get one of the CPU companies in there, Intel is not backed either one. Uh, so for AMD to step in, and AMD, we've heard here on the podcast, has really been releasing some server-grade CPU hardware recently, making some big strides. Uh, it, it's a, certainly a good sign. So if you're still on the fence between the two, it's starting to look like Alma Linux is going to be that choice. Would you say that would be your choice, Don Pizzette, on the scene right now? He said Ubuntu. No, no. I I would never stake my career on a (laughs) Linux distro that's been around less than a year. Gun to your head. Yep. (laughs) You got to choose one. Oh, if I had to choose one? Where are you going? uh, If I had to choose one, I would pick Alma. Okay. uh, And not because of the sponsorship, but because of the design model. Um, Rocky Linux Mm -hmm. is owned by one person. That, that oh, original okay. founder from CentOS. Yeah, yeah. And we've already seen what happens there with OpenBSD, right? The Theo Durrett or whatever his oh, name is. Yeah, that yeah. guy's a total... I yeah. mean, He's yeah. not cool. And Rocky's no. been punched in the face a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm always hesitant to deal with projects that have a single uh, a dictator, right, yeah. or, or whatever. Uh, and Alma Linux actually has a community set up, uh, a committee where they do things by vote and stuff, which can also lead to debacles, but at least you feel like they won't make any crazy decisions. Yeah, because they- typically that just mires things down and makes things take forever to come out. Don't yeah. they all just have a higher dictator in, in Linus Torvalds? Sort of, I mean, as far as the kernel's concerned, but they have total freedom over everything else. Mm-hmm. But I guess we have to remember, like, these guys aren't, creating everything from scratch either they're just right. compiling what red hat has already done so red hat's already the dictator why stick a second so, one on there so i mean that begs the question if they're basically just clones of red hat what does it matter which one i go with because well, they're, they're cause basically who's supporting the same it, thing right, right? Yeah, uh, you know, the, the support, uh, timeliness of updates. Okay. So like when Red Hat pushes a security update or a new version comes out, so like when RHEL 9 comes out, how long does it take for Alma Linux 9 and Rocky Linux 9 to come out? They release before Red Hat does. That would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, when the, I mean, when there's a zero day, I guess, do you maybe trust the company that's got backing financially or do you trust the, the company that's got one guy? Maybe didn't get well, the phone call. They don't. They don't just have one <laughs> <Yeah>. guy. <laughs> just, just to be clear. Yeah, it's I will not, say, it's not a dude in a cubicle going, "This is fun." <laughs> yeah, I will say though, all my friends, all my friends use all my friends, <laughs> all my Linux. All my Linux. So. Uh, you trademark that. Don't you take the, it. Copyright. I, I, you know, not not that I'm calling you out here for your soundboard skills, but that that would have been a rim shot. Uh, yeah. You know, well, I wasn't a joke. It was a serious. He was like laying down. <laughs> I'm I'm pitching that truth. Yeah. Fact. I gotta I preach, gotta, Peter. <laughs> I, I gotta make all this stuff uh, alphabetical or something because I got a drum roll. Yes, yeah, something. Oh, there it is. That soundboard is like a schizophrenic nightmare come mm-hmm. true. Yeah, <laughs> they're on there in the order I put them on there. Ah. <laughs> so, so it is your nightmare come true. Yeah. So my, I know this yeah. board. But Hold it's on, like what? Kill who? It's like that John Cusack film where he's talking about how he's organized his records oh, autobiography. That, uh, high fidelity. I don't know something. Yeah, yeah, all his movies blend together, but uh, except for Gross Point Better Blank. <laughs> but he's like, I've, I've arranged my album street value of this autobiographically. <laughs> Pure snow. Yeah. Is that, is that, yeah, that's not Bobcat Gold. That's yeah, it's uh, Bobcat Goldthwait. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Celebrated actor. He God, was indeed. He will be missed. I like. He's still uh, alive. He's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I prefer uh, One Crazy Summer. Oh, okay. I was, uh, he was in that too. Gross yeah. Point Blank is definitely an entertaining yeah. flick though. Anyway. All right. Well, let's move on <laughs> to uh, an article at Tom'sHardware.com. Windows 11 desktop watermark might come to unsupported PCs. And oh, so I, no. this, I know you had the watermark before if you had an unlicensed copy right. of Windows, but this is just basically saying your computer isn't, isn't powerful enough, loser. Yeah, and, and some additional news has come out since this article was written. You can remove the mite. It's coming. Uh, we, we announced last week, so Daniel and I, you, we talked about it, that the Rufus utility had been updated. That's right. Where it could make a Windows 11 install ISO or, or USB key or whatever that did not have the TPM requirement. So if your, your system didn't have the right CPU or a TPM and couldn't run Windows 11, you could actually make an install media that would ignore that. Microsoft has responded in a rather passive aggressive way in that if you do that, if you make an install and you don't have a TPM and you don't have a, 
whatever it is, eighth generation Intel or newer or whatever their their CPU requirement is, that nine thousand gigs of RAM. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's right around that number. It will add a watermark at the bottom right hand of your screen telling you that you're running unsupported hardware. Now, most people can ignore a watermark like that just fine. But if you're somebody who gets annoyed by a message floating on top of your desktop like that, uh, then you need to buy a new computer. Or if you're someone that, you know, you do a lot of presentations and you don't want a watermark on your you screen don't. that says this person is poor. Yeah. So <laughs> that's basically what's happening. So riddle me this, <laughs> Batman. A, it's not necessarily poor because... There are some really nice laptops mm. that this will not run on. That's true. Right? And then B, Don, how often do you actually see your desktop? That is true. You know, if you've got Windows full screen, you don't... You're running browsers and... Have you ever closed Chrome? Oh, right. Got to be yeah. honest, right? I do not know why this is a thing. Like, are there people just sitting there going, I, I, I got to get the, the watermark. Yeah, it's back there. Oh, my God. You know, they're scratching their neck and they're it's, having hive breakouts. It's and, the people that freak right. out if they've got, like, a, a notification on their phone next to the messages. Like, I, I got to read to that. To me, it's a badge of honor. I'm like, ah, I told it. Like, I yeah. give it the well, big middle finger. And, I think as a consumer, you can do that, and it's fine, yeah. right? But imagine imagine you work at a company that has 10,000 employees. Yeah, give it to me. And an and, and end user, an accountant... Uh, yeah. somebody in the, the marketing department or whatever, they've got a laptop and there's this watermark that's on there. Yeah. They're going to open up a support ticket. So Again. you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to use group policy and everybody gets the same background. It's white. <laughs> <laughs> but won't they, they wouldn't overwrite it. So? <laughs> well, you can't see it. It's or you're saying the color of the text, whatever yeah. the text yeah. is. Boom. Microsoft. So there's going to be a drop shadow. <laughs> but I was about to say, I, I haven't seen this one. I haven't tried it to, to trigger it, but on the activation one, there is a drop shadow. Then so we'll use like a snow pattern. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be real crazy. Just white noise. Yeah. Uh, you, you're talking to the person that's all my life is to just get around things. You know, <laughs> somebody has to have already done that. Hey, yeah. We'll have to Google around. I bet yeah. somebody's made a way to cover the activation yeah, yeah, yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. If it looks like looks like a QR code yeah. kind of background <laughs> where it's just all kinds that's of black it. and white. That's it. And that's that way we are also hiding the fact that we haven't activated. Yeah. <laughs> so, so here's my question. I guess, is the term unsupported used wrong here? Because if you're running it, how is it unsupported hardware? I mean, it works. Unsupported means if you call Microsoft and ask for help, they're going to tell you to go beat sand. They're going to say, oh, it's on your end because you're not running a powerful enough system. Or... Right. And, and it's not so much about the power. It's about the security features, mm -hmm. that you're missing security features that they require for Windows 11. And so, like, if you were to get a virus or you were to get hacked or whatever, like, that, that's on you because you didn't run what they specified. Well, I'm thinking half the time people call those numbers and go, no. I'm having trouble accessing my bank website. Can you help me? And they go, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I've been on a support line before. That's that's what they do. I just bought this vacuum cleaner, and I'm like, I, <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. The, is there a number on the side of the box? Why'd you call me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Going back to the backgrounds, maybe come up with like a wallpaper that's all the different notifications they've done yeah. like that, and for, just like tiled across. Before, yeah. What you can do is you can make one of those like uh, art projects that like you use yeah. random things. Yeah. This version of Windows Vista is not yeah. uh, has not been legally be downloaded. Well, again, just ways to get around stuff is my... I, and plus, I don't care. Well, the, the way to get around this one, the easy way... It's just a... Just run it. Windows 10. It's still supported for like five more years. That is yeah. so true. <laughs> but there's like a, an HKLM. You can go into the oh, yeah. into the hive and, yeah. and dick around with it a little at, bit. At and, least for now. Yeah. And change mm -hmm. it. Hmm. Change a zero to a one or a one to a zero and it's and gone. Magic happens. Yes. Boom. All right. Uh, let's head over now to ArsTechnica.com. Behold, a password phishing site that can trick even savvy users. Just when you thought you'd seen every phishing trick out there, BitB comes along. So how does this one work? B. Is that uh, wrong? Did I say it wrong? Uh, no. Well, that's right, isn't it's it? It's just like BITB. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, an abbreviation for browser in the browser. Yeah. Uh, so kind of like software as a service, which we'd say SaaS. So yeah. bit, well, I'm thinking it's uh, like a play on man in the middle. MITM. Okay, and we I wouldn't say, say minimum. minimum. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. you wouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> well, I would because I'm not as smart. <laughs> I believe it's actually bite B, as in you can bite my yeah. B. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, I drew a target. Sink your teeth in. Yeah, so. Sit here, uh, kiss my ass, Daniel. So <laughs> I, uh, I shared a, a story with Daniel the other day, and a couple of the other people here in the office that uh, I, I almost got hit by a drive-through click installer uh the other day almost and uh, almost yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah i was yeah. saved by i run sophos intercept x yeah. it caught it and, and stopped it so i was lucky but uh, i had mistyped a web page address and it took me to a page that immediately popped up a google recaptcha and 
I'm used to seeing these. You know, normally it's like, hey, click on the squares that have a bus or a bicycle or whatever. So and tough. That's the most stressful Dude, they thing. They really to me. are a pain. I'm like that power line kind of goes through. Right, some that of them one. are like, oh, it's like a little bit. Does that count? But if you've passed enough of them, all you see is a box that says, "I'm not a robot." And you just check the box, right? And so I have motor trained myself now when I see I'm not a robot. Well, I'm I'm not. So I check the box and off I go. So that's what came up. And I'm like, oh, man, I got hit by a recapture. I thought maybe I had like a VPN up or something. And and so I went to click the box, but it wasn't a box. It was a picture. It was a picture and the whole thing was a link. And so when I clicked on it, I got tricked into clicking on a link. Uh. And sure enough, it was a malicious one, which my software caught and stopped it. Uh, So that was good. But the, the reason I was talking to Daniel about it was like, hey, I, I sort of know what I'm doing. I, I'm, I'm pretty well trained. And yet... Yeah, got your own podcast. That got <laughs> me. So how am, I, how am I supposed to expect regular end users to not get caught by this stuff when I myself got caught by it? Well, this attack is a little more sophisticated than even that. We're used to going to websites that have a sign-in with Google link or sign-in with Twitch, uh, sign-in with Facebook, right? These, these social media logins that are designed where we don't have to have individual passwords for all these different sites, and they use OAuth to handle the authentication. Well, what this uh, security researcher came up with was a way to make a, a modal window that is styled with CSS to look like a pop-up browser window, but it's actually not a pop-up browser window. It's just a a kind of a a floating image. Yeah, Yeah, modal on the page. And that means he can completely fake the address bar to show a valid security certificate link and to have google.com or or whatever in the URL. So visually it passes all the checks. And when you click on continue with email or sign in with Google or whatever, you're actually on his server at that point, sending your credentials mm. to his system. Uh, Good times. Pretty sneaky stuff. Good times. You know, this is what I've learned throughout the history of my career here, Don, is that if it's easy, do not do it. That's just what it boils <laughs> down to. If it's, hey, just click this and you're on your way to the bells and whistles you've been wanting all day long, uh, that's wrong. Actually, I've heard a lot of people talking about how you should create a new email account for everything you do and that that it's not just passwords are you know crazy but you have different email accounts for everything you sign into and stop using things like single sign-on because if you uh, if an attacker ever makes it past that yeah they are past everything and now have complete access into your world so i mean if you want to be secure in this world you you, a you just you never click a link Right, you always go. Well, I'll just go there and log in. I'll just go to the website. I'll type it in my browser, and I will do the thing. This is the safest way. Is it wildly inconvenient? Yep, sure is. But is it more or less inconvenient than say, oh, I don't know, having all your bank account drained yeah. and your life stolen? Yeah. Well, What's the same thing choice. they say about you know, don't give your phone number to any, or don't give your information to anyone right. that calls you. Nothing. Say, okay, I'll call, I'll you, call you back right as the bank. Yeah. Yeah. Do you uh, do you ever use plus addressing? Plus addressing, no. So, I've never done that. Where you add like on the end of the email? Or, yeah, yeah, different providers yeah. have different features. They don't They don't all have this, but like in, in Microsoft Office 365, uh, if you have an address, so let's say I'm Don at Whatever. Microsoft.com, right? That I could do Don, the plus symbol, and then whatever string I wanted at Microsoft.com. So you could make it specific to Don plus bank and that's the one yeah. you use at your bank account. And so the the nice part about that is you have a different email address on every site, but it's only one mailbox. So you're just checking one mailbox. And if you start getting spam on an address, yeah. you know exactly which site it was that sold you out or got breached or or whatever. But on a negative side, like what you were talking about, Daniel, yeah. a separate email account for each one, mm. an attacker would look at this and say, well, let me just knock off everything after the plus, and that's their real account, right? right? So it's not really... Plus, if they gain access to the account, they would have access to all those mailboxes as well. That's true. Right? So this is like, let's say for whatever reason, I'm not using Authenticator, I'm using my email for two-factor, right? If I two-factored into some site, and they somehow got that 2FA, and they were able to log into that site, that's all they would have access yeah. to. That's the only thing in my life hmm. that they would have access to. Everything else would still be segmented. Yeah. And they would have to do it again for other things, and that would be a very heavy lift. For but them. you'd lose like five years of your life with all the... Well, once, yeah. Setting it up, it's a lot of work yeah. up front. But on the back end, once it's done, you got something like a like a manager, like LastPass or whatever. Yeah. Your life is easy at that point. Oh, I need to go into that one? Cool. Click, and I'm there. Yeah. 
Something yeah. to consider. And a lot of work. I'm not doing it. It's that. a lot of work. <laughs> yep. I love the part of More this. More or less work than say, oh, I don't know, <laughs> yeah. reclaiming your identity. From uh, an identity it's a lot of work, though. too, but you only have to do that like once or twice in your yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, and you're good, right? Like, honestly, it sounds easier to just get a new identity. Yeah. <laughs> it does. Right? I mean, yeah, you can get Man, those. y'all, y'all stealing IDs. Can I have another one? Yeah, you just go buy one. <laughs> yeah. Dark web. Let me get one of them identities. Can I, yeah. can I buy my identity back? That'd be smart. <laughs> That'd be smart. I love that there's a section, a subheading in this article that says, Malvertisers, please don't read this. Yeah. So it's like, this is this could be bad. Yeah. It was a pretty yeah. smart move, though. Like, the whole idea of faking, because we do train users to do, sure. like, look for these things, look for those things, and this just completely circumvents all that, because you're asking a user to do something that they don't normally do. Yeah. And to, this is... To, like, try to un- unearth that this is a scam. This is a tough one, you know, like, to this identify, because they even, like, in his proof of concept showed where the modal window, you can drag and move it around. Yeah. yeah. So, unless you try and move it out of the browser window, you don't actually know that it's... Right. Yeah, it's, it's like... And, and who does that, right? Nope. Yeah. Whose workflow is, now that a pop-up has come up, let me drag it around. Yeah, let me move it, it to it'll, my it'll, other it'll monitor or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no one does that. So. All right, well, let's take a look now at our next article, which is actually looking back. Uh, so this is Deja News. Deja News. All right, so I was looking ahead here to the URL this is from. It's from datacenterdynamics.com. And I, for some reason, I read that first as data... Uh, Nerd, ner- or nerdy Amex. I was like, "What is going on?" But I figured it out finally. This where is the turd. Yeah. <laughs> this is dirty Amex. Dirty. Yeah, yeah. There's a T in nerdy. Is yeah. what I, I was like. Why is there a T in nerdy? Uh, yeah. um, all right. So this is OVH <laughs> Cloud Fire Support SBG2 data center had wooden ceilings, no extinguisher, and no power cuts. That, yeah, that's fantastic. So this this is a a big data center. Yeah, so it, it's been uh, basically a year exactly. That's how long it took them to, to study this fire uh, to report on it. But we, we reported on it way back uh, last year that the OVH hosting service, which they're a French organization, so uh, cloud hosting, kind of like DigitalOcean or so they Media were Temple. In, in Notre Dame, and that's what started the yeah. fire. <laughs> it was in the attic. Isn't that basically the same thing that happened? Pretty there? much. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Yep. So, it's like, oh, it's a historic building. Yeah. We can't. Let's put a data center in it. <laughs> so they were operating out of a building that was not designed as a data center originally. If you ever saw the pictures on the outside, like it looked like somebody just threw together a bunch of crazy mismatched buildings. Um, but, uh, but they had a fire breakout, which when you have a ton of electrical equipment, the more you have, especially with batteries and UPSs and stuff, the more likely you are to have a fire. Yeah. Um, but they did not take proper precautions. And for whatever reason, the various fire inspectors and things in France did not catch this. But the uh, the most egregious things, there there were wooden ceilings, which allowed the fire to spread pretty well. Uh, there were, when, when it says no extinguisher, it doesn't mean like there was no little fire extinguisher. It right. means there was no fire suppression system, period. Like a sprinkler system yeah. or, right. or, or a, whatever. Yeah. a gas. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so they didn't have that. And then the worst part of all, because when you're dealing with electronics, any fire quickly becomes an electrical fire. Uh, they didn't have master cutoff switches. So when this fire broke out, it took three hours before they were able to cut electricity to the building. And you had to get the scissors. Watch. Pretty, I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah, Break out the fire hoses? Do? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get everything wet. <laughs> well, all the doors, too, locked from the outside. Yeah. yeah it's really yeah. stupid. So, uh, so it was really just a, a, a tragic happening. This, this whole data center, it affected a lot of customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the customers are, are rightfully upset that you know, they, they have downtime and outages and damages that they're now starting to look at OVH and saying, hey, you guys, you guys weren't doing your due diligence. You didn't put forth the, the right effort into to securing our data. Uh, and so now they're being accused of fraud. Mm-hmm. Well, OVH wasn't a big company. And so I, I do feel bad when you see like small companies are doing the best they can right. uh, and have a tragedy. But, you know, yeah. uh, like a 150-year-old uh, wood building. A fire sprinkler for, system, that seems... You'd think that they would have thrown yeah, that in there. Yeah. You know, and plus, I don't know why they were storing boxes of oily rags next to the data sure. center. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, weird, isn't weird, it? Weird, but yeah. And why Billy was over in a corner dipping rags in oil and putting them in a box. 
Well, the fire inspection was right after lunch. You know, a couple <laughs> couple bottles of red wine, some cheese, a Bordeaux, nice. maybe. Yep. Yeah, brioche. So, uh, you know, I, I thought it was interesting because we don't always find out about this stuff. When a, a major data center like this goes offline, uh, we typically want to know what the cause was. In this case, it was a malfunctioning power supply that sparked this fire. Uh, and Wait, was it our, the power supply we talked about hacking the other day? Somebody, no. Well, <laughs> like it you set know, it on fire? It was, oh, it was in a, a battery UPS, backup, yeah. but I, I don't think it was like maliciously oh, yeah, done. The, right? the UPC ones, uh, yeah. That yeah. would be ironic. But, uh, but you know, it just it, it was able to spread and be so damaging. Uh, they mentioned there were a few other things, like there was a, a free flow air conditioning system that basically created a chimney effect that continually <laughs> yes. fed oxygen we, to the fire. We want to keep getting you air. Yeah. yeah. Well, if, when you're running a data center, yeah. you need it's cool like a, air. It's like a bellow. And, oh, yeah. yeah. And all that just went together for the, the perfect storm and, uh, you know, just devastating effect. How did you melt stainless steel? It got hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, jet fuel cannot burn, uh, cannot melt steel. Uh, when I you know. let it on fire, it can. I just, on my conspiracy theory websites. <laughs> Wasn't that a thing from the 9 11 investigation? Yeah. That's, thing. that's the big sticking point like for a lot there of people. Was like, they were saying that there's some sort of like thermite charges that were on the building and that's how it melted through the beams. And <laughs> yeah. Same people were responsible for this fire. I'm, I'm, sure. I'm not up on my metallurgy. So if, yeah. if jet fuel burns, it cannot. So they're saying that uh, or jet fuel by itself would not burn to the extent well, it hot did. enough to melt the beams. Okay. But it clearly did. Yeah, because you can see like the, the 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 slag pouring out of the of the beams. There's a you gotta watch some you know, I know the conspiracy I'm, I'm, theories, are man. Like you can see are you the, not on Reddit? the video kind of, evidence yeah. <laughs> of the slag being poured out of the beam where the thermite is oh, cutting wait, through. Wait, I I see what you're saying. Yeah. Is, you're saying that it, it absolutely did melt the the beam. But yes. they're saying it wasn't that, it, that those there were. It charges, must have been the charges, charges that were planted it, by. Right? Okay. The planes were just like the, the reason why this came down. Huh. And gave us interesting. Some, yeah, uh, I have somehow flag, blah, blah, blah. somehow managed to miss that whole conspiracy oh, man. theory. Yeah. You are the landing was fake. Bro, <laughs> you call yourself an X Files fan? I know. I've yeah. not been doing my homework. Disappoint me. You disappoint me. I'm walking away. <laughs> <laughs> it's all true. This is actually the same building where they uh, filmed the moon landing in France. <laughs> That's why they had to destroy the building, right? That's, That's why right. they had to. Duh. Yeah, it, it knew too much. Yeah. They're like, wait, China's about it, to it, land it, on the moon. We gotta, <laughs> we gotta get rid of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, our next article here is also, also Deja News, uh, and this one is from ZDNet. It says, ex-cafe press owner fined 500 grand for shoddy security uh, covering up a data breach. So I assume this was not in the UK, because this would have been a much higher fine. Oh, well, b- believe me that uh, I, I believe Cafe Press was based, or the, the company that owned them, which has a silly name. What was the name? I don't mm. know, something like Banana Peels or something. Residual Pumpkin. There we go. Residual Pumpkin. <laughs> it's a group of grown-ups. Okay. I told you it was a weird name. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe they were U.S.-based, uh, but uh, you, there yeah, absolutely will be some GDPR fines involved in things that just haven't happened yet. Uh, so what's going on is that Cafe Press, they're a, a website that sells art prints, and I think they do T-shirts. Yeah, like one-off sh- like shirts and stuff, if you yeah. want. Like Etsy before Etsy. So yeah. they they seem they've been around a long time. Seems like a fairly reputable business. I've probably bought something from them over the years. I just don't recall. You know, a coffee mug that says "World's Best Boss" or something. Uh, you bought it for yourself? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, nobody like, gives their boss. He, that. Every time he drinks, he's like, "Damn right." <laughs> oh, I think that's the joke from. I think that's the first episode of The Office where he's oh, like, "So really? he's like, so I got myself this mug," and you know, it's like "World's Greatest Boss." Or whatever. Yes. Well, there we go. Uh, so they uh, they sold the company, right? So uh, another company came in and bought it, a company called Planet Art. And it was quickly... No, it's Plain Tart. <laughs> yeah, Plain Tart. Plain Tart. No, right, I can there. see that. <laughs> it's, uh, There's it's no not, space in this word either. It's not for some tarty reason. like the other one. So, um, so with Planet Art, emphasis on the syllable. Yeah. <laughs> so they they bought the company, and then after digging in, discovered some really interesting things. The biggest of which was that there were numerous data breaches throughout the years, including one that was a complete and total breach of the customer database uh, that was not disclosed by the previous owners of Cafe Press. So they they sold the company to a new ownership group. That's what you yeah. do when you're hacked. Yeah, and you they, get rid of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you're liable now. Yeah, oh, man, I'm out of here. Yeah, so, by the way, you guys were hacked. Right. <laughs> that meme of uh, Homer just like 
<laughs> yeah. I don't work here anymore. <laughs> so in 2019, uh, they were they were fully breached. All their entire customer database was leaked. All the email addresses, mailing addresses, and then I thought this was really odd: 180,000 unencrypted social security numbers. I'm not exactly sure why Cafe Press had those. Oh, I would guess because you as a seller might get oh, a W9. Sellers. Oh. Totally makes sense. Yes, yeah. they've got the W or 1099? 1099? Yeah. 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 So they'd have to get the taxes on that. But uh, uh, the passwords were hashed with a, a weak hash that was reversible. So attackers could figure out the passwords that were in the database. This was just a, a total barn doors blown wide open breach. Yeah. All the data gone. Uh, <clears throat> they did not disclose that and they did not notify their customers. And what's worse, some of the storefronts that they were hosting that were breached, the customers reported it in and they. Cafe Press closed those stores saying that they violated terms of service <laughs> and yeah, charge you're a snitch and yeah. charge them a $25 closing fee. Wow, nice. <laughs> well, and so, that's all going nice. to our fine fund. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Stitches get stitches, right? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so what it all comes down yeah. to is that they were not doing uh, patches in a reasonable time frame. So there were there were disclosures on um, uh, vulnerabilities that they easily could have patched. The patches rather just had to do updates. There were security practices they were not following, and so now there is a a, a lawsuit basically. And the, uh, I believe it was the SEC, who was it? Somebody. I was F- say, were these like compliance things that they were not? It says uh, the FTC. The FTC, all right. Yeah. So the FTC is stepping in and saying, look, you got to pay a $500,000 fine. Yeah. Mm. And they're actually assessing it against the previous owners, which Smart. I think is really neat. You yes. Know? Uh, but the new owners have actually stepped up to the plate. They, they're the ones who, as soon as they found it, they reported it and disclosed it. So the the new owners, Planet Art, they're they're doing everything they can to make it right. Uh, I guess you don't really have much of a choice once you bought a company. you got to sort like, it out. Dang, you can sell the company. Done. Yeah. yeah. Disclosure's hard. So, <laughs> well, what what's funny? You brought up um, uh, snitches get stitches. Yeah. I I had a shirt design, but it was actually now that I think about it on Zazzle, which is uh, a competitor uh, right. that was the elf on the shelf, and it said snitches get stitches, <laughs> nice. and sold a, a few of them, and then nice. and then I finally got a, a cease and desist from, <laughs> from yeah, Big you made Elf. Your money, right? Yeah. yeah. Big, from big, big L. Yeah, yeah. They, they told Santa. Yes. No. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this is, against, this is why I made the shirt. Oh, people now, one, like, one of my questions about this is like, they used verbiage like reasonable security measures. Yes. Is there a definition of reasonable security measures that they were being held to and did not? Or we've just decided. Well, it's it said they were notified of the flaw and and then ignored it. So I think well, that, that counts. If there was a breach. Yeah. yeah, that's, but yeah. They're, they're saying that they were getting hit for not doing patches that because they're just so old you should have sure. done this already and you didn't so in in the united states there is nist guidance that sets aside what they consider the like bare minimum that you should be doing now i don't know if that's what the ftc used in their reference but right. it likely is you know so, but i'm what i'm saying is i guess they, they they were under some sort of compliance and governance that applied to them they're not just some rando company you know i i i'd be surprised if they did because i think they are considered just a rando that's, company that's what i yeah. mean like who are you to come in and say what was reasonable for me and what's not if I'm not – is there a legal entity that says I must do these things if so, I run a company? Apparently the FTC. That's, so. that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so if you start a company, be prepared. Yeah. Well, no, that, that's a really good yeah. point. I think that if you are starting a new company and you're going to do e-commerce, that you can't just go fly by the seat of your pants anymore. Right. There are minimum things you need to do. Like if you're running – if you're taking credit card payment, you have to be PCI. You know, you, you don't technically have to be PCI yeah. compliant, but you should because nobody will play ball with you if you don't. So, like those would be standards that you can say. Well, you take pay, uh, payment cards. You should have been following these rules, and you weren't. And now we have some sort of like expectation. Yeah. Of uh, and that's what I mean is like, did they know that they were expected to do those things, or is there a reasonable doubt that they wouldn't have had to do that? And now they're being held to their feet to the fire. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. Wrong timing yeah. again. <laughs> get that right. Yeah. It, it's interesting, but yeah. it, it is a, a message out there to people. Like if you do e-commerce online, you, you've got to keep your systems up to date. You've got to uh, have some basic firewalls in place, securing your systems. You have to audit admin logins. There's, there's simple things that everybody should be doing. And if you're not doing them, you could be held liable for it. And, and, the, the thing that usually is the indicator for me is if you apply for cyber insurance. You just took the words right out of my uh-huh. mouth. Yeah. Would this have applied to a cyber insurance claim? Yeah. And, and if you apply for cyber insurance coverage, 
the insurance company will make you fill out this giant questionnaire. Are you doing these things? Because if you're not doing your due diligence, if you're not doing the bare minimum, they're not going to pay you the premium. Yeah. Or that's not the right word. What is it when uh, they pay you? Uh, yeah, the premium is what you pay them. Yeah, when uh, they pay you, it's the, the, you the something. Da- the oh, damages. The, the, the claim. The claim. They're not going to pay the claim. Yeah, the claim. That's yep. it. I wonder if the, uh, if the French uh, ISP or data center had insurance and if they're paying that claim. Man, who would insure a wooden building with a bunch of electrical stuff in it? <laughs> I, you Some know, guy dipping away. Liberty, Max liberty, oil. liberty. Yeah, the general. The, the well, general. <laughs> the same people who sell flood insurance on the Florida coast, right? Probably they the government. They well, because they know that the day the, the big one comes or whatever, that they just go, oh, we're bankrupt. So listen, <laughs> we worked for a company that actually happened. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, so when Hurricane Andrew hit, they were like, guess what, y'all? You're fired because we ain't got no money. Yeah. Right? And they laid well, we had a good run. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's actually what's called a reinsurer like bigger insurance companies that insure insurance companies. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was really weird because one day we were working for one company and then the next day we're working for a different company. (laughs) And Keys didn't change. No. And it was right in the middle of hurricane season. Yeah, weird. (laughs) All right, guys. I want to let you know about a couple of good webinars coming up. One today, uh, Cisco's Networking as a Service, or NAS, is finally here. The who, what, where, and how of NAS with Anthony Sequeira and Ronnie Wong. Uh, if you remember Anthony uh, from the past, he's been a, a guest here on TechNado as well. Uh, so that'll be a good one taking place at 2 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, we've got another one coming up on April, let's see, 7th uh, that Don and Daniel will be doing together on choosing the right Linux distro in 2022. No Did you know you're doing that, Daniel? Say yes to the distro. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the key differences between Linux distros. And so we've done one What's of those Linux? before. Well, yeah, you've got a couple of weeks to do research. Okay. I'm on it. Uh, Alma is what yeah. you have to say. The suggest. landscape has changed, it so really it's time has. to update our webinar. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we gotta got to swap this one out for 2022. But uh, head over to itpro.tv slash webinars, and you can check all of those out, uh, register for them, or see the archive versions once the date has passed. Uh, and while you're on that internet, head over to technado.com, right? Dot, dot gov? Dot com, yeah. Dot gov. Uh, <laughs> it's not edu, I know that. And you can uh, get a 30% off coupon code uh, for the lifetime of your IT Pro TV membership if you click the big orange button in the corner that says sponsored by IT Pro TV. Uh, you can also check out some other things on there. Send us some feedback. Um, let us know what your favorite Linux distro is, for example. Some of your business. Would be fantastic. And uh, yeah, that, that's all the stuff you can do on the internet. So uh, thank you guys so much. Sorry I missed you last week. I've, I've still got to go back and, and catch up on that episode. Check it out. It was a good sure, time. Sure yep. it's all timely. And uh, thank you all for watching, and we'll see you next week right here on TechNado with Don Pizzette.